Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. So, as Geraldine said earlier, happy Black History Month. Today is the first Sunday in Black History Month. So, yeah, something to be celebrated. Um, in recent years, I've seen t-shirts and posts that read, Black History is all of our history. I agree with that statement. It is. So it's sad and even devastating that in certain parts of our country, there's an attempt to water down, delegitimatize, and frankly, er eradicate this history. Since it is our history, two things surface for me. I'm not gonna lie, one of them's anger. (laughs) The kind that acknowledges the depth of wrong in limiting a story or an experience to the parts we're okay with. A sanitized history. Because who wants to think that in our American history, we have done wrong perhaps, or people have been wrong, or that perhaps for decades or longer, we haven't heard the full account, okay? It's a shame. The second thing that comes up is we should be prompted as individuals to go deeper, to know our history, because it matters. And I could probably spend 20 minutes in telling you at least how I didn't know a lot of my history. Some of it by my own doing, and some of it by also being in settings where that wasn't promoted. It is a shame. It is important to know that history because it matters, the whole of it. And hopefully as we know our history, we will do better in the here and the now and in the years to come. And we can also celebrate the parts of our story that should be celebrated because there is a lot to celebrate in black history and American history etc. In saying all this, the last few days I've been thinking about how we have a lens from which we read scripture. We bring who we are, we bring our experiences, thus allowing us to have a means to make it personal and hopefully applicable. And as we continue to learn and grow and love others, our lens has the opportunity to expand. Can we approach life in the Bible viewing from the lens of those different from us? perhaps those who are on the margins? Can we choose to make that shift, perhaps those who are incarcerated, how they view the Bible? Those who are unworthy, how they view the Bible? I guarantee that if you and I choose that shift, there will be powerful and life-changing good ramifications. I have sat in spaces with people who think nothing like me, who look nothing like me, and I'm telling you folks, it is a powerful place when you can bring the lens of somebody else and look into God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship and be together. We thank you that your word is alive and active and available to all of us. We thank you that you see us and we thank you uh, just for being here. We pray that you would receive our glory, honor, and praise and that, um, even for us too, that we would be encouraged as we go forth this week. Amen. As I was preparing for today, thinking about black history in particular, and trying to read from another lens, it got interesting for me. Kind of painful, actually. I was reading this Ephesians text multiple times. I was reminded that a passage of scripture that is so welcoming, 
so inclusive, so hopeful, and so redemptive, entitled Jew and Gentile Reconciled Through Christ, that this portion of scripture would most likely not have been given to enslaved people. A popular Bible, and I'm gonna put this in quotes because it's not the full Bible, a popular Bible select parts of the Holy Bible for the use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands was allowed for the slaves, they were allowed to read this. And here's a picture of the cover of that. Wikipedia, which isn't always reliable, but I looked it up in other places too, stated it this way. The book was published by a collective group of missionaries called the Incorporated Society for the Conversion and Religious Instruction in Education of the Negro Slaves in the British West India Islands. Talk about a mouthful. (laughs) Bill B. Porteous was the president of this society. Collection of missionaries, folks. I'll read on. It was produced in England in the early 19th century for use in the British West Indies. It had all references to freedom and escape from slavery excised, while passages encouraging obedience and submission were emphasized. These references emphasizing loyalty and submission to the slave master were instructions handed down by Porteus who stated, prepare a short form of public worship together with select portions of scripture, particularly those which relate to the slave duties toward the master. Kind of (laughs) gross. British missionaries used it in the education and conversion of the enslaved population. The editors included only 10% of the Old Testament and half of the New Testament. For example, among the excluded passages are Colossians 3.28, which states, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Why would you want to include that to people that you want to keep enslaved? That was excluded. Let that sink in for a minute. Imagine the Bible you are holding in your hand, or for those of us that got one at our, our eighth grade graduation, <laughs> that'd be a couple of us, or high school graduation, imagine if it was 60% less than what you're holding. Narratives, good and bad, are gone. A more complete picture of God's love for you, gone. An account of the beginning, on, gone. It blows my mind this, that this would be taken in an effort to produce submission. It's grievous, actually. Something that we can hold on to or pull up on our phone. It was like, nope, they are not gonna know this part of their story. Actually, the story isn't for them, except for these parts that talk about enslavement. So grievous. So I'm not gonna lie, there's a little joy that perhaps Porteus and others might be rolling around their graves when you think of the fact that a black woman (laughs) pastor is up here able to speak about God's word. That feels really, really good. Because the beauty is, I know of many pastor friends, women in particular, and black men who today are bringing the word of God. And what a, what a, what a freedom, what a gift. And some of them, many of them, are um, just astounding. They know the word, they are theologians, and we will reference one today. We know that many of these enslaved people believed in God, and some of them, small g God, they had their gods that they brought when they were brought over from Africa taken from Africa, and that even though others sought to control the narrative and keep them in bondage, there was and is a God who saw them, 
who loved them. And the full story of the good news was for them as well. So as we look at this text, I hold them in my heart, and I'm grateful for those that came before me who didn't have what I have now. When I look at these 11 verses, they sort of naturally break into three sections. Verse 11 th- verses 11 through 13, who we are. Verses 13 through 18, who we are in Christ. Verses 19 through 22, who we continue to be, what we are a part of, who we were. In verses 12, 13, and 17, African-American author and theologian Mitzi J. Smith, cool name, writes that Paul sets up a clear distinction between the Gentiles' past and their present status by use of the polarities, near and far, once and now. And prior to that verse, in verse 11, he exhorts the Gentiles to remember their past existence and relationship to the people identified as the circumcision in the flesh by human hands. Previously, the Gentiles were in the flesh, and the circumcised ones referred to them as those of the uncircumcision. Wouldn't it be horrible to be known as that? (laughs) But that is how they were known at that time. Living a former life as described as without Christ, separated from him. They were excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenant promise, which I read with this promise. It's not entirely clear, 100% of what this promise exactly was. Without hope and without God. Reading this, I was thinking that this is about as dark and lonely and hopeless as it gets. They are, we are in the out crowd. Do you, or do some of you, remember before you knew Christ, that, that distance that existed between you and him, that being outward, that, that not being included? I don't think we want to dwell there, but I think we need to sometimes remember ourselves and that chasm that existed. Because I think sometimes when we do feel like God is far away in our here and now, it's easier for us to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. (laughs) It was bad to be separated from God. The word far, excluded, foreigner, or the phrase in the flesh, without Christ, without hope, without God, speak to darkness and aloneness. And thank you, Jesus. As I was reading verse 13, I was like, thank you, Jesus, for verse 13. We are again introduced to the phrase in Christ, what we hear a lot in this book. Those who were once far away brought near by the blood of Christ. This shed blood is the means by which the Gentiles are delivered from their past existence. Reading this, so many pictures came to mind. Thinking mainly of little kids when they're being naughty or resistant. And if you're like me, you're sometimes super obnoxious with that. And I do it to my teenagers too, where they're trying to wiggle away in defiance, but when you can reach out and grab them, and even if they're squirming, you could pull them close, sometimes they'll relax themselves. And they let you hold them in the comfort of your arms with that firm and loving grasp that kind of, they melt into you. It's the absolute best place as a parent to be, I think. This is what I picture when I read, we were far away and brought near. His blood made this possible. Scooping our wiggly and defiant selves up into his arms, and we eventually agree to this. And we eventually relax, and we ultimately let him love us. Do you remember when you said yes to being brought near? When you were aware and perhaps felt that first love? That's the best.
that sort of letting go and saying, okay, I'm going to let you love me. I'm going to let you be the one for me. In Christ, Christ's blood has created peace and unity. Christ's blood has destroyed the barrier of separation, rendering ineffective any requirements that prevented the Gentiles' active and full participation in God's promises, salvation, and citizenship. So everything that they had known up to then, this dividing law, this dividing wall, this those of the uncircumcised, that was gone because Jesus' blood made a way. Like to me, that is like, again, as I was reading this, so overwhelming, the beauty of being brought near through his blood. Missy J. Smith, whose commentary on Ephesians I'm referencing today, wrote that. After regarding these verses, that African Americans are all too familiar with barriers of separation. That historically and currently, they attempt to uh, limit our full participation as U.S. citizens. She goes on to give an example of how the majority of African American children are still subjected to separate and unequal educational systems. Last February, Jimmy presented us with a well-researched and somewhat devastating picture of this reality. I'm not gonna expound on his information or her information, it's out there, but it was a lot. But where where Smith landed while exegeting this passage is that inequalities can be overcome. She writes that Jesus becomes the great equalizer and the common denominator. However, we who have been saved, we who do know Christ, we have responsibilities in this, right? We can't just say, okay, Jesus, fix that (laughs) as the equalizer, as the one who's a common denominator. We have to be a part of it as individuals and as the church and as a nation. We have to choose to help bridge the gap regarding the inequalities and the inequities we see. They're not gonna go away on their own. That's not happening. Verse 18 tells us that now we become both and can have access to the both being the uncircumcised Gentiles and the Jewish believers and we can have access to the Father by one spirit, Jesus made a way. Verses 19 through 21, we continue to walk into the truth of who we are and what we get to be a part of. No longer foreigners, no longer strangers, no longer sojourners, no longer outside, outsiders. Can you sit with that? No longer are you here, but you're brought here as close as we can be through Christ, we are brought into that space. We are brought into that holy space, as close as we can be because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. The prophets and apostles have laid the foundation for the Gentiles, incorporation into God's family, a part of the household with Christ being the chief cornerstone. This building up of the temple in Christ is in Christ. And I was thinking like, with being a part of the family, I had this funny image, and part of the household, I'm thinking, well, now you, now you get to do the dishes. You just don't get served, but you get to do dishes, you get to take out the garbage. It is that close. You get to be a part of the rotations. It is that close. Some of y'all get the reference to the rotations. It is that close because you're family. So at times it's painful, it's ugly, but it is that close because Jesus said, I'm bringing you in to the real, the real part of, of life together, of community together. The barrier is gone. So it is that intimate and that close that you get to see the the nitty-gritty of life with family. And in 22, it feels like, don't forget this message, looking straight into the camera at us, reiterating again, 
And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that's just not some temple over here. We literally, in this temple, in that temple, we are being built up to be a place where God and his spirit dwells. God does not want any of us to be outside of a relationship with him. We're only in chapter two. We've been given an invitation multiple times to be in relationship with God, how it came about in Christ and by his blood. That's love. And the straightforward picture of Jew, Gentile, and each of us being reconciled through Christ to God is made plain in these verses. I again return to looking at this with the lens of those who were enslaved, those precious souls treated as less than dirt, declared three-fifths a human by the very country they built, their bodies wanted for all the wrong reasons, those who didn't have this insurance in the partial Bible, the fake Bible as I've been calling it, they were allowed to hear from. Imagine hearing these words that allowed to you in that context. Imagine them in that context. If we can take our lens, imagine if you were an enslaved person, let's just use our prophetic imagination, and you have been treated in less than dirt. What if you knew this to be true? That God saw you, that God loved you, that God wanted to bring you near so, you know, so that you were no longer unwanted. You were no longer a foreigner. You were no longer public, public property. You were no longer an outcast. You were now someone's beloved. I hope there was a way for them to know that truth, that this applied to them as well. Whether by those, you know, those are, there are those white folks sneaking stuff around, right? We know they're white folks sneaking probably the word and good food and things to them. I hope that there were those people that said, you matter. And more importantly, by God's spirit indwelling them, I hope they knew. The comforter also came near, as much as Jesus and God, but the comforter coming near to them. Mitzi Smith ends this section of her commentary with this. African Americans have found comfort in knowing that they are members of God's family. God reserved a place for them. Such a sense of belonging has empowered African-American Christians' belief that they have worth because God invited them to be participants in the ultimate family, the household of God, end quote. And as believers, we are all invited to be participants. And may we choose this day to say yes and amen to the one who loves us, sees us, and shed his blood for us, and the one who also will return one day for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.